my name is Jacob and I am a Norse pagan and welcome to the 15th episode of the Folk Podcast. We have a guest today that I've been wanting to get on the show for a while. Um, it's Forrest Munden, who actually I've been on his podcast a couple of times, but now he's finally on mine. So I'm so excited to finally get to talk to him about a plethora of topics. But Forrest, go ahead and introduce yourself um, and tell us a little bit about your journey so far. Hey guys, so my name is Forrest Munden. You guys may know me from, I mean, there's a couple of different platforms because because Jacob and I have created podcasts together in the past. So I'm assuming that most of our audiences, you know, they probably met me, but Munden underscore Forrest on Instagram. And then if you guys listen to my podcast, Backbuilders. But um, yeah, to give you guys a little backstory, I guess, uh, I've been a Norse pagan for closer to probably about four years, but more, I want to say, I don't want to say, I want to say I have been more heavily diving into Norse paganism over the last two. Because you know how you have like this year or two period where you're kind of like, oh, that's cool, but you don't really take the time to learn about it. The last two years has been really me moving into my uh, journey. And then the gathering, <clears throat> like if you guys have listened to our episode before, that solidified it. And then I was like, boom, let's do this. And then, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a little synopsis of who I am. So yeah, I was really excited to get you on this uh, on this episode just because there's so many different things we can talk about. Obviously, we had uh, Myron on where we talked about martial arts and the warrior path. So definitely with mm -hmm. you, I want to talk about um, with like the nutrition, uh, your you know your time in podcasts, your time in the military, um, anything you really want to talk about. But honestly, what I'd like to start with is kind of the reason I did uh, feel inspired to bring on the show, which is the last like I think three weeks now I've been dealing with a kidney infection. Um, and it sucked. It's been awful, just mostly because I've been on antibiotics the whole time. I haven't really been able to leave the house. Um, and it's really inspired me to change my diet, um, just because I feel mm. like that's a key to a lot of my problems right now, just as far as my health. Um, and plus, you know, the stress of running a podcast on YouTube and Instagram and all those things like that. But um, I do believe <laughs> I could have improved my diet. So I've actually been working on, I've completely removed eggs. I've basically removed dairy. I'm eating much more fruits and vegetables on a daily basis. I only eat white meat. Um, so I've made a lot of drastic changes and I'm already seeing positive effects from it. So I kind of want to dive into you and see what your nutritional mm -hmm. journey has been. Cause I know you're vegan and, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming you haven't been that way for a while, but if you want to kind of get into it, cause I know that's one of the things you've uh, faced in your own Instagram life is people are like, Oh, I can't believe you're a vegan. Cause you, you know, you actually work out and all this stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've been, um, I've been plant-based for about, I want to say, I've honestly lost track at this point. I want to say it's probably about three and a half years, but everybody, when they go on a plant-based diet has a certain point where they realize that that's something that they want to move forward on. Mine was not because, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I care about animals. I love animals, but, but mine was because I was like, damn, I'm getting fat. <laughs> like I need to try something new. And so I tried, uh, keto which I don't recommend. I've tried paleo. Um, I've tried massive unhealthy amounts of fasting where you're just starving, which don't get me wrong, that that works for losing weight, but so does smoking meth. So it's like, just because you're losing weight, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's necessarily good. I lost weight. So I've tried all these different diets. I've been in, I've been an athlete for as long as I can remember. And then finally, I don't remember what exactly it was that inspired me to, it wasn't like I was just one day, boom, no meat. I'm not going to eat any fish, eggs, nothing. It was a slow and gradual reduction in my meat consumption. Now, this is where a lot of people get caught up. I guarantee you, if I didn't say this right now, I would just, we would lose half of our audience because people are very, very, uh, you know, understandably, they get touchy when you start to talk about meat consumption. My biggest problem wasn't necessarily meat in and of itself. It's where we were getting that meat from. I had to look at where we were getting the meat from, which is uh, animal factory farms. You have hundreds of thousands of cows shoulder to shoulder in these tiny crammed little areas. They're in their own poop. They're in their own piss. They have diseases. They have pus. So my ultimate decision came from, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. So I'm not going to eat. It started out with red meat. And then I slowly was like, you know, I feel pretty good after not eating red meat. I don't really feel different. I don't feel bad. Then I reduced my chicken intake because I was a huge fan of chicken. I used to be a bodybuilder. So all I had was chicken, rice, and broccoli for like a year straight. Then fish. And then you kind of get in that point where you haven't had meat in a few weeks. And you're like, oh, you're just waiting for like that inevitable collapse that everyone talks about. And 
vegetarian, you know, I was still drinking my milk, eating my eggs. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to cut out the last few things. And I have felt that was about three years ago. And since then, I have felt phenomenal. Now, a lot of people are going to say that the plant-based diet is unhealthy and that, you know, you, you hear all these horror stories about it. If you have a general understanding of how, what the body needs, nutritionally speaking, you'll be fine on pretty much every diet. But the problem is a lot of people that on the far, you know, vegan spectrum, they do raw smoothies and all they eat is kale. And then on the far other end of the spectrum, you have those carnivores who all they eat is like liver. So my choice was to go plant-based because it felt most healthy to me. I followed the science. I was like, hmm, you know, this seems pretty healthy to me. And then uh, I felt good. I felt energized and I felt sleepy. And that was many years ago. So to bring this into a pagan context, because I'm sure people are like, why in the world are they talking about nutrition on this show? But mm -hmm. the reason I'm bringing it up is because I have felt a little bit more of a spiritual connection, at least to the natural world, going to more of a, you know, not necessarily plant-based diet, but more conscious diet. And yes. so that's definitely something I want to bring up with you. Is that something you've experienced uh, along with this nutrition? Yeah, I can actually. So I heard this really good quote this one time. I don't remember who it was that said this, but okay. When you look at the animals that are currently the chickens, the fish, meh, they're like the insects of the ocean, but the fish, all right, the, the cows and all that stuff, you look at what they're involved in on a daily basis, it's pain and suffering. And I heard this quote, I can't remember who it was from, but he said, if you eat pain and suffering, you will become that. And I was like a game changer for me. It was very philosophical. You know, I'm, I'm sure that if you eat a steak from the grocery store that came from the local factory farm, you're not going to be like, you know, corrupted all of a sudden. But it was a good point. And, you know, when you reduce that consumption of that in my what my eyes is, is, is toxic meat, uh, you reduce at least philosophically speaking, which you can get into the metaphysics of all that. Vegans have these debates all the time. But when you eat pain and suffering, you tend to become that. When you reduce the intake of pain and suffering, you know, not literally, but metaphysically, it kind of opens up that spiritual space that you can tap into. Um, now, I this is a whole nother topic that, you know, I'll just briefly hit on. But there are parts, um, I, I mean, there are places that you can get what I believe to be more healthy meats, you know, grass fed, they're not killed in front of other cows. You don't have that adrenaline in the blood. You don't have that fear, those infections. So there are places you can get healthy meat, but for the most part, I've tended just to generally avoid it. I went through like a, a slight, I guess you could call it like a, a vegan um, stage every now and then, like a few years ago, where I kind of I cut all the meat out, and I did it the wrong way, and it can definitely have a really bad impact on yourself. Um, yes. But I have noticed, like, like what Jacob was saying, as far as the the pagan aspect of it, like I definitely have grown farther and farther away from eating meat myself on a regular basis. Um, like me personally, I've completely cut out red meat as well, uh, and the the only white meat that I still consistently eat I am like what you were saying very picky and very particular about where I get it from because especially where I'm at um in New Mexico there's a town in Texas that's maybe like 45 minutes an hour away from me that all it is is like what you're saying these massive disgusting factory cattle farms mm -hmm. um you know and it it's like you can smell it like it's an hour drive away from me and the winds will blow that stench from there so like just smelling that you know that these animals are in this condition and yeah it's it's it sucks like yeah i'm a, i mean you know i'm a huge animal advocate but then like to know that you're putting that same thing in your body at the same time like it's pretty rough and i've, I've just overall i've noticed that i'm going more of a a vegetarian route um but you know, in the, my biggest concern is I do like to stay fit. And like, I've, I've watched a few documentaries um, about doing that. So like, what kind of, what was the hardest thing as far as staying physically fit and going full vegetarian based or full vegan basically? Um, the hardest, the hardest part for me was just re analyzing my, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my relationship with macronutrients. Okay. So on the standard American diet, the standard American diet is very we love our proteins. We love our saturated fats. You know, it makes sense. Red meat and meats and stuff like that. However, what I've tend to notice is that I have felt better 
when I have switched my macronutrients over to the complex, this is where a lot of people get caught up carbohydrate. So when I say that I eat three to 300 to 350 complex carbohydrates a day, people are blown away. They're like, what? that's going to turn into fat. No, it takes a lot of complex oats, sweet potatoes, potatoes, you know, any other healthy form of a complex carbohydrate. It takes a lot of complex carbohydrates for that to turn into fat. I'm talking like a thousand uh, grams of complex carbohydrates per day. My most difficult part of my transition was switching from a high protein, high fat diet to a very high diet of complex carbohydrates and to learn what a complex carbohydrate is and to kind of make that the main staple of my diet. And then what also was difficult for me, if you want to talk about the um, physiological aspects of it, is that milk is very addictive and it's not addict. Well, it's addictive because there's this, I don't know what you want to call it, but there's this uh, thing this uh, hormone in milk called casomorphine, and it's highly addictive. So if you've ever noticed that you start to slowly reduce your dairy intake, especially with cheese, cheese is very high in casomorphine, you will start to have a reaction, like a withdrawal syndrome. You, you crave that cheese. There are physiological withdrawal symptoms of coming off of cheese and milk. It's called casomorphine. And that was something that I had to adjust to on top of switching to the carbohydrate for my main staple of my diet, but yes. All right, so a little bit of change of pace on the um, all the nutritional stuff, but uh, I believe it was, might have been two or three weeks ago, I think I saw something on your story about being able to um, like harness your anger and everything like that to uh, kind of push you and focus you um, towards your goals. I don't know if mm-hmm. I just missed it somewhere in your post or if it was something you were gonna put on your Patreon, do you have it done yet? But it, just if you could uh, explain that right there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just in case people don't know who you are, can you give us a basic blueprint of what you as a social media person is trying to do? That way they kind of understand the blueprint behind these conversations. Yes. My main job job on Instagram now is to make men better. And I don't mean that as in like they're so lost and they're so shitty and like make men better. That's not what I mean. I mean that I see men, not especially young men, not reaching their max potential. And I just give them tips and tricks, psychological um, mind shifts to help them reevaluate their perspective on life. In 2020, we have a mean. It's called the doomer and the bloomer. Okay. So you have the doomer, which is very nihilistic. Uh, They're very torn on death. They see life as meaningless. You have the bloomer who understands that he's going to die, but he accepts it. And he lives life to the fullest with hope and optimism, not unrealistically. So But my job is basically to turn doomers into bloomers because I've been that. And I, for those of you guys who don't know what a doomer and a bloomer is, sounds silly, I'm sure. But this is how I interact with my audience. Um, Not consistently like this, but to answer your question, I help make men better. I optimize men. No, that's good. I mean, I was just looking at my statistics for the Wisdom of Odin YouTube and like 86% of my audience is men. So it makes sense to talk about men's health. And it and it is scary that it's becoming a taboo to talk about this thing, you know, and not to dive too much into that end of things. But I do believe this is an important thing, especially since both mine and your audience is predominantly men. Um, yes. But uh, definitely, sorry, Caleb, I took away from you. So feel free if you even remember what Caleb asked. <laughs> no, no, I remember. Um, he asked about anger and how to properly harness your anger. So this is one of my most, I don't want to say most unpopular opinions, but this is one of my more controversial opinions. So in the modern world, we are taught to completely disregard anger as an irrelevant emotion, right? If you get angry, that is bad, you know? And in some cases, it's it totally is. If you overreact to certain situations, you lash out, right? You are violent for no reason. Um, that is not the appropriate time for and place for anger. However, my argument is that as a human and as a man, anger is emplaced within us for a reason. We need to get angry when we need to defend our family, when we need to defend our tribe. I always think back to this in my head, how 
imagine how, when, let's say when the Romans started invading Germanic tribes and they had that uprising, uprising with Arminius, imagine if they didn't feel anger. They're just like, yeah, you could tax me. <laughs> like all is love and blah, blah. And they never felt any anger at all. Nothing would ever get done. So my idea is that I understand that I have a natural, maybe a higher amount of anger within my body or within my mind or whatever you want to call it that I've struggled with as a young child. But now I take that anger, which in my mind is this energy source, and I put it towards something physical. Okay. So I see this ang anger, whatever, about whatever, you know, maybe politics, maybe it's, I feel like I'm not doing good enough. Maybe it's just general anger. And it's not the negative angsty type of anger where I just want to destroy something. It's a productive form of anger. It's a motivating, inspiring form of energy. And I take that and I put it into something like my work, okay, into jujitsu. So working from home, I've been working at home for the last eight months now, right, is incredibly frustrating. I have anger all day because, you know, I'll record this episode and I won't, it won't save. And that pisses me off. I will have to turn this document into this person and they won't do it on time. I just get angry. But I have a physical relief that is healthy and it's productive and that's jujitsu for me. But to completely disregard anger as an irrelevant emotion is silly to me. It's how you harness it that is where your money's gonna be made. Yeah, I can, um, I can definitely agree with you on like what you're saying, like taking it and using it as a, a form of energy. So I have this thing that um, I like to call them rage lifts whenever you know i feel mm. overly frustrated or overly you know angry about something i will drive myself to the gym i don't care what time it is as long as it's open you know and i will put that like you said that energy to something productive you know in that case it's myself and at that point when i'm done you know mentally i'm already um you know i get over it it exhausts myself physically and mentally and i think about whatever it is that is bothering me and then it's said and done with but i also used it in a productive way instead of just sitting there you know at home frustrated uh you know venting and cursing about whatever it is that is bothering me you know instead of and letting it consume me i use it to some sort of degree absolutely productive anger is what i call it um and then you know it's so i'm because while you're saying that ian I was thinking about how I often mimic our gods, right? Mimic in a realistic and like human sense. I mimic them and I understand that even the gods got angry. Even they got frustrated. Even they needed some type of physical outlet. If the gods can afford to be angry and use that in a productive way, why can't I? That was my conclusion for that. I agree wholeheartedly. Even if like you look at, Christianity, for example, even their savior, Christ, he got angry. So anger is an emotion and it's something that we can control. Um, and I know you, you follow a bit of stoicism, which is what I wanted to talk to you about. But talking about anger reminded me of the quote from, uh, I think it's Ep Ep Epictetus, I believe is his name. Epictetus, yeah. Yeah. And so any person capable of angering you becomes your master. And like that really stuck out with me. It's like, because someone can make you mad something can make you mad but it's what you do with that anger that determines the outcome yes that is something that i preach i'm, I'm really glad you brought this up especially if we're appealing to at least for this episode a mostly male audience even female is that stoic philosophy people often believe that it's about not feeling any emotions that is not what stoic philosophy is about if anybody tells you that and they will they're wrong stoic philosophy is about picking and choosing what you emotionally and physically respond to. You have to think of your emotions as a form of currency. And you only have a limited amount of, I, can't, I don't want to cuss, but a, little, a limited amount of Fs to give per day. You have to choose what to give those Fs to. Are you going to give it to this? Are you going to give it to that? Are you going to react to this? So I, like I've said, I, I grew up a relatively angry kid, you know, was very competitive. And now that I'm more older, I'm older and I'm more mature, I have to really pick and choose what I emotionally respond to. You have to understand as a practicing or aspiring stoic that you don't have to respond to everything emotionally. You don't have to let it get the better of you. That's ultimately what stoic philosophy is in a nutshell, is um, being conscious of your emotions and controlling them because anything that fully controls you, even your emotions, 
is your master. And I refuse to let my emotions be my master, vice versa. Yeah, um, I 100% agree with that. I've, I've recently been diving deep into Stoic philosophy. Uh, Seneca, he, he talks about, you know, we only the biggest currency we have is time. That, that's the one currency we cannot get back. Once we spend our time, that's it. We, we only have a limited amount here while we're on earth. And, you know, just looking at these different philosophers, like uh, Marcus Aurelius is the main one I've been studying after. This man mm-hmm. was a genius. I mean, a Roman emperor who just sat there and looked at the world and was like, I can have anything I want in this world, but I'm not going to let it control me. I'm going to control it. Like that took a lot of like self-control and reserves where you look at Roman emperors in general, we don't really look at them in a good light. A a lot of times, you know, you have Nero and uh, even his own son who gave into his own self-indulgence and let people pretty much rule him and run him around, you know, all these different Roman emperors, they let the modern conveniences control them uh, and, and look at us today is where we're at with humans we have so many modern technology modern conveniences it's so easy for us to do everything that we get to where we depend on it and that's one thing i loved about your first and second episode of your podcast where you talk about it uh you know no more nice guys i think and then you just talk about sort of philosophy like that really hit home because we as men uh we're doers. We're, we're the hunters. You know, we're not the gatherers. We go out and we're hunters. We're supposed to be the providers and, and stuff like this. And it's hard to say that nowadays because of the current times we live in. Yes, there is. Um, so a couple of things that you just said that I want to hit on is one. Yes. It, same thing with stoic philosophy can apply to technology and technology. Like you guys spoke about in your last episode needs to be moderated and like I, like I always say, reevaluate your relationship with social media, reevaluate your relationship with Instagram or anything like that. Now, really important thing that you hit on is time. Okay. As a man, you have to understand that, yes, your time is limited. We will die. Accept that and move on. But who you choose to spend your time with is more important. It's called circle of influence. If you're hanging around a bunch of losers who are constantly drinking, doing drugs, they're always broke, they're not being productive in their lives, you may say to yourself, oh, I'm hanging out with five losers, but I'm not one of them. Chances are, if you're hanging out with five losers, you're the sixth, okay? Um, Choosing how you spend your time is extremely important when when it comes to who you're choosing to hang hang out with. Are those people making you better? Are they making you worse? Are they energy vampires? Are they sucking you dry and making you feel like crap every time you hang out with them? I told my my audience last time when I did an episode on circle of influence and time, I said, evaluate who you spend time with, okay? When you hang out with the folk at a gathering, how do you feel after that gathering? Do you feel tired? Do you feel, you know, generally like you didn't have a good time? Do you feel like you wasted it? Or do you feel good, reinvigorated, even inspired? That is something that needs to be consciously practiced in life. I know that when I got done with the gathering, I felt amazing. Whereas I've had friends in the past who I've hung out with and I literally feel hungover because we just drink so much, or I just feel like I was hitting the kidneys the entire time. You know what I mean? You know, I reflect um, from stories I've heard of other people that have been to, to gatherings or, you know, just like pagan get togethers, not even necessarily Norse pagan. Um, and it's kind of like what you said. It's like, what do they feel when they leave? And a lot of people were like, didn't really feel anything or they felt worse because there was so much social politics or drama within the, mm-hmm. the gathering circles. Um, and that's something I'm very proud of what we're trying to do is that we're just trying to create an environment of people that just accept we're all different at the same time. It's like, hey, we're just here to worship the old gods. We're here to honor our ancestors. Yes. We're here to you know, honor the land um, and gather as people. Um, and another thing I wanted to bring up is something I learned at my first foray into freelance work. Um, before I did the wisdom of Odin, which is now my full-time job, which I'm so grateful for, I was a freelance photographer and it was not as successful (laughs) and I did not make a whole lot of money, but somehow I managed to scrape by, um, you know, I probably only made like, you know, $20,000 that year. Um, but at the same time I got to do it, doing something I loved, but the most valuable resource I got from that is meeting all the small business owners. I mean, I remember a time I was taking photos for this coffee shop. Um, this guy, Nate, he owns the largest coffee company in Lexington. 
Uh, I rode with him all day while he was doing supply runs. And then at the end, we sat down at a local brewery and talked to the local brewery owner. So there's three people all owning businesses talking together. I'm like, this is it. Like, this is what the conversations need to be. You know, because my friends at the time, like you said, were losers. They were people that just smoked pot, hung out on the couch and play video games all day. And it's like, those aren't the people you want in your life. You want to hang out with those small business owners, the people that want to make a difference and strive to do something more. So that's definitely something I will always remember, even though I didn't have a lot of money at the time. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I'm just thinking too, Jacob, on top of that, you know, you talk, we both talked about who you hang out with, who to spend your time with. But what also you were talking about too is networking and social interacting, how amazingly important that is for your development, but also your reputation. We know that in traditionally Norse pagan tribes or communities, your reputation was all you had in a, basically in a completely oral community, right? You only had your reputation, meaning that to apply that to what you just said and to Norse paganism is that your reputation within your tribe is everything. Right. So if you're going to go around talking crap about people behind their backs, stabbing them in the back, you know, sliding them at every chance you get, people are going to get word about it. people are going to know that you're doing that. And then before you know it, you're going to be kicked out of the job of the tribe of the military, whatever it is you're doing as a man, you need to understand. And as a woman that your reputation is one of your most valuable forms of currency on top of time and then literal currency, you know. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of funny that we kind of hit that subject of who you hang out with. I actually just had a conversation with a, a friend of mine today, who, um, and it kind of ties into the the social media kind of aspect thing of you know where you put your time and effort into and dependency on certain things. Um, but they something to do with like Snapchat, where a situation popped up and. Uh, you know, somebody saw them Snapchatting somebody else that they've been friends with for years, and it just caused this whole big debacle and drama and all this stuff. And they were genuinely upset that, you know, that this person cut them off because of this one thing that was allegedly, you know, seen as. And I straight up told them, I was just like, well, if they really took it to heart like that, then they're not worth having, you know, waste your time on. No, I was very blunt about it. And like, that's something that I've definitely lived by. If, if somebody doesn't, if somebody doesn't take that effort into finding out your side of the story or put in the effort to understand what this, the whole situation is, then yeah, they're not worth keeping around. They're not worth wasting your time and effort on it. It's, it blows a lot of people's minds on how easily you can, or like for myself, how easily I can potentially cut somebody out that, is toxic to both my time and my effort and stuff like that. It's like, like you were saying, like time is everything. We only have so much of it. Like I'm not going to waste it on somebody that's not going to give back or make that time worth giving. Yeah. That's something that is super hard for a lot of people to grasp in is the concept of that as a man or as a person, you have the ability to cut toxic people out of your life. Main mostly what I, when I talk to these people, they say, well, how do I go about cutting someone out of my life that I don't want in anymore? You don't have to make it this big scene. You don't have to post it on social media and be like, I am deleting this person off of social media and I'm doing it now. No, you don't have to do that. You can mute them. You can, I don't know, don't respond to their messages anymore. Or you could just sort of tell them, Hey, this is how your behavior has been lately. This isn't compatible with my life. And honestly, until you change, I don't want to be around it anymore. It's a, it's a skill, right? It has to be developed. It's like a muscle. Um, but don't be a douche about it. You know, I always tell people like, don't just go up to a person who's perceivably toxic and be like, you're gone. I don't like you anymore. I always tell people that you should self-reflect and maybe you're the toxic one and maybe you're the one causing problems. That was a huge mental shift for me that maybe I'm the problem. And I have been the problem in the past, but it all goes back to knowing yourself, knowing what you stand for, knowing your values right? Knowing if you're lying to yourself or lying to others, whole nother podcast for another time, but something to think about. Definitely. Uh, just saying that reminded me of another thing Marcus Aurelius says, you know, he says, if you see something that offends you, don't look at that person like they offended you looking within yourself because something inside yourself has been offended. And that's something you can do. Uh, talking about time and then like managing ourselves, uh, 
one of the persons who really created stoic philosophy from the history and stuff that I've done is uh, Zeno of Sidium. Uh, he was a merchant who had a vessel and lost everything in a storm, just broke, lost everything, come washed up on the shores of uh, Athens, went straight into a bookstore because he had nothing else to do. And he heard philosophy for the first time. And then he's like, this is what I needed in my life. Uh, and he didn't look at what he lost as a, a bad thing. He looked at that as a new beginning and what he was supposed to do, like the gods were leading him to it. And that's very interesting. What, what I like about stoicism is it's, it's not so much as a master of your emotions, but it's also a master of the situations in your mind. That is so, that's such a good point. Here's why the gods have a way of testing man. Okay. The gods. So if you're listening to this right now, and if you're suffering a defeat, you maybe you're literally suffering, you're grieving, you've lost a business, whatever it is. Here's how I have mentally shifted the idea of defeat. It's not defeat as in, you know, for example, you just give the example of that guy losing everything. Now I think of it as the gods are testing me. They want to see if I will crack under pressure. Literally, that's how I think of it. I think of the gods putting me through this situation. I've had some horrible situations, especially financially. And he asks, and the gods ask, is he capable of overcoming this obstacle? And the gods say, if he is, he will become stronger on the other end. If he's not, give him time, or maybe, maybe he's just not strong enough. I had to reevaluate my idea of defeat. I had to reevaluate my idea of loss. Norse paganism helped me accomplish that because I feel as though I'm always being watched by not only my ancestors, but as the gods. I posted a quote on Twitter the other day, and I said that when you accept the idea that you're being watched by your ancestors and the gods, you have a little bit of pressure to perform there. You have a newfound sense of responsibility and inspiration that you may have not had before. When you think of them, when you think of these cosmic beings and ancestors or spirits or whatever you call them, watching you and saying, I want this person to succeed. I want him to pass on the torch. I want to see him do the absolute best that he can. You're not alone anymore. You have a responsibility to not only them, yourself, but those around you. So to go back to what you said, you kind of have to reevaluate your relationship with defeat and loss. I feel like that's a pretty obvious thing that we think of, but we don't necessarily put it into practice. While reflecting on this, I'm actually thinking of like honor code, like, you know, having an honor code as a man. Um, and I feel like that is something that God's test you on. You know, if you have an honor code, they will send you things to test you on that to see if it actually holds true. You know, are you going to have a line in the sand that if someone crosses it, what do you actually do? Um, you know, I've had that recently happen with the job that I left, you know, I was disrespected at the workplace, you know, by the boss, you know, for an unfair reason. And I had to sit back and, you know, reflect on it. Like, I don't let people do this to me. So what should I do? And I left, you know, two days later, boom, I was gone. And, you know, to me, that was my test, even though I didn't know the outcome, but in the end, I knew that was a test of, of my own, my own code. Definitely. I mean, if we can look at going back to North Stadium itself, whenever, uh, Thor and Loki and uh, I can't remember the, the human boy that was with them. When they went to the Frost Giants Palace, all three of them were tested, all, all based off of what they were good at. You know, we are going to be tested. We are going to go through hard times and struggles. And your mindset and your emotions and how well you deal with them is going to depend on the outcome of that uh, situation. Yeah, like, for example, like a good – uh, a test, I guess you could say that I was given to me by tears specifically it was my, like, I guess it was my big initial interaction with him, um, you know, and he is a God of, of extreme sacrifice and justice, you know, so he understands like a sense of giving something to better yourself or to better a situation. And for me, it was kind of tying back into like the anger thing I had, it was direct anger towards a certain individual um and it was that that concept of letting it go you know it's not worth it you know like you're i was spending more of my own time and energy wasted on something that it was better for me just to let it go it's not worth it you know like we're trying to find like that line and testing like your own honor code and that you know i could have 
let that gotten the better the best of me and made a stupid decision that could have either wound me up in in trouble whether it's like you know jail physical harm something like that you know like it could have potentially ended up bad if i let it take control of me and like you're saying you have the gods and ancestors watching over you and in a sense testing you and judging whether or not you are capable of handling this and if you're not obviously you're going to know and you know luckily i believe i've made the right decision um by putting my time and effort into something else into bettering myself instead of letting this this hatred and anger control me and consume me and like that's what it did it was an unhealthy level of of control of i was focusing on this one person and how they had wronged me but in the end it was better for me to accept what had happened and move on with my life because there was no other good way about dealing with it necessarily because it was just such a sensitive thing and it was just better to let it go. And that's basically what tear said to me, you know, he kind of just sat there in this dream that I had and just crossed his arms, stared me down. Like it was that, like an overwhelming sense of it's not worth it. If you do something about it, like it's going to backfire in your face and you're going to regret that decision. I thought you were going to about start singing, let it go from frozen there for a second. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> There was a very, very small part of me that thought about it for a split second, but. <laughs> but I guess going back to the, um, to the whole thing with, with Stoic philosophy, for some people that may be, that they've never heard it before, they don't know anything about it. What are some good sources to, um, to get started into it? I know Big Sure was talking about uh, Marcus Aurelius and mm -hmm. a few others like that, um, but what are some of yours that you, uh, you go to? So I'm looking at my bookshelf here this is for the audience who wants some good recommendations, but you have, you could go straight to the source, which is meditations by Marcus Aurelius. It's not a long book. It's like 230 pages. Um, but then you, you have to understand that stoic philosophy has gone kind of mainstream. So the mainstream author, that is my most favorite. And this isn't going to blow people's minds here. If they they're already familiar with stoic philosophy, but there's Ryan holiday. I know a bunch of people are like, Oh, I knew he was going to say that, but he's like the go-to for stoic philosophy. He has Ego is the Enemy, which I don't necessarily agree with, but it's a great book. <laughs> um, Obstacle is the Way, and there's one more, but he has three. So if you're interested in Stoic philosophy, uh, go to Ryan Holiday's books. They're really cheap. They're like $13 per book, or the audio version is even better, and uh, start taking control of your emotions. I believe that as a man, it is essential that you start learning how to take control of your emotions. I'm not saying don't feel them. I'm just saying, take control of them. Don't become the slave, a slave to your, to your emotions, but start with Brian Holiday's works. When you feel like you're ready to move on, go into just Marcus Aurelius's meditations and don't think you're just going to get through this entire book and just be like, well, I'm a stoic philosopher now. It's not really how it works. It's more of just programming, okay? So when people spout off stoic quotes to me, I'm like, oh, I, I remember that, but I, it's not off the top of my head anymore. Instead, it recalibrated my mind, if that makes sense. So when you read stoic philosophy, you're just recalibrating your mind to shift and see things a little bit differently. That's ultimately what your goal should be for really learning anything, but more, more so a philosophy. And it's not just a philosophy in the sense of like, you read it and you're like, sweet. It's more of a lifestyle, right? Stoic lifestyle. Well, you know, and that's, I do have mad respect for what you do on Instagram because for the most part, you do almost pr uh, primarily everything through stories. And I know you're having good success on Twitter now. Uh, but one of the things I really do enjoy is when I get to your story section, just because it is that slight rewiring. You know, it's not like necessarily something I'm seeking out, but when I'm mm -hmm. flipping through your story real quick, it's like, it's just doing a little bit of work where it's like, makes me think for just a brief moment. And that's a lot more than we can say out of 90% of the stories that are out there. <laughs> That is my ultimate goal, Jacob. When people look at my Instagram and, and don't get me wrong, like I, I, maybe one day I'll show the DMS that I get, but I get tons of people who I don't want to say hate mail, right? That's so dramatic. I get hate mail. I get people who strongly disagree with me on a lot of things, but my main goal is to tell you the uncomfortable truths, right? It, but let's go back to the matrix. Okay. If you were in front of what's his name, I don't remember red pill, blue pill guy. Was it? No, it's not Nero. I don't remember his name, 
But um, if you were to have the red pill and the blue pill in your hand, I'm essentially that guy. What do you want? Do you want the, I mean, I'm not going to give you the blue pill, but do you want the blue pill or do you want the red pill? The red pill? Okay. That is the truth. And it's wildly painful and extremely uncomfortable, but it's the truth. You have that. You can work with that. Then on the other hand, you have the blue pill, which is like the, the Jerry's of the Rick and Morty universe. It's like, yeah, they're, they're totally happy with living in this fantasy world, but it's not the truth. My job is to give you the truth. And people, I don't want to say hate me for that, but a lot of people don't like it. And you know what? If you don't like it, just unfollow me, but they don't. Now, there's a really good quote. I don't remember who. Yeah, this is a little dramatic, I will admit, but there's a really good quote that says, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. And that is, I, I literally say that in my head every time I'm about to post something that I think people are going to negatively react to because I believe that it can benefit people. Have I been wrong before in the past about things? Of course. But I hope people believe in me enough to know that what I'm telling them is something that I've spent time and I've researched. Um, and I don't just go off trying to piss people off and say controversial things for the sake of getting followers or likes. In fact, I lose I lose more followers than I ever gain most of the time. If I gain followers, I'm very surprised. <laughs> like I've been at 12, I've been between the 10 and 12,000 range for a year now. Um, but ultimately that's my job is for you to look at my stories and just get a little tweak. That's it. You know, on the, the red pill and the blue pill thing, I mean, it's kind of like that, you know, it talks about in the have them all as well. You know, you know, you don't want to have too much wisdom because too much wisdom is a burden at times. You know, it, it is a much happier life to not be too wise, you know, to just kind of accept life for how it is. But if you do want those truths, it doesn't feel great sometimes. And a lot of times it's harder to, you know, live a daily life with all, with all the wisdom that you gain. I mean, we see that in a character like Odin which is why I have so much respect for the, the story of madness. Like the more wisdom you get, the more mad you will become in both mean, meanings of that word. Yes. The, I have had Jacob, I've had truths given to me, uh, non-consensually, you know, I have a epiphany, if you will, I have a red pill that shatters my existence as I know it. Okay. I'm not talking about induced through any type of psychedelic. I'm not talking about any drug. I just, something makes sense. To the point to where I'm like, how have I never seen that before? I, oh my God, if I haven't seen this, then what else have I not seen? And then you're just shocked. Wisdom, I, I don't, I'm not deterring anyone away from gaining wisdom or knowledge, but it's a burden that needs to be bared. Okay. It's not something that you should be afraid of, but it does come with the price. Sound familiar? How many books have you read this year? You got a growing list of books, right? How many, how many, how many you at now? Oh man. So I actually have not read a single book in about a week and a half because I've been studying German, which I think you would appreciate. But yeah. my total is 38 books this year. All right. Good point. I'm really glad you mentioned this. Now I'm getting excited. Here's what people get caught up on. They think that you just need to have a book and you're just like this. Oh God, I, gosh, I'm on hour eight of this book. It's so boring. No, you don't need to do that. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys, not you guys, but like the audience, a little tip on reading. I read whatever the hell I want. I don't go straight into Barnes and Noble and pick up Nietzsche's because I'm like, God, this, you know, Jordan Peterson talked about this. So I'm going to jump straight to Nietzsche's. No, guess what? I'll go to sometimes I'll go to the Warhammer 40 K section. Great books, by the way. And I will read it because in those books, I learn about honor. I learn about warfare. I learn about suffering. And then, you know, one day I'll go in and I'll pick up some type of like philosophy book, a light reading. But what I was getting at is that there are different platforms to read books. And when I tell people that half of my books, now don't get me wrong, I physically read books, but when half of my books come from Audible, they're like, what? That's not reading. Like, you don't read books. I have gained so much wisdom through audiobooks. It's actually insane. I will finish, for example, the, the three-part Teddy Roosevelt series that I just finished this month. Each book is nine hours long. Put that thing at one times two speed and listen to it every time you do the dishes take a shower, uh, go to the bathroom, drive, any type of commuting, any type of free time you have hiking, you will blow through books like nothing. So ultimately my physical and audio book collection for this year is in its thirties. I don't, it's so, I don't know. It's everything from a two hour long book to like a, the biggest one I've read so far is 26 hours and that, yeah. 
I will agree on the audible thing because, you know, I, I, for those of you that know or don't know, I work in Loganwood. So I'm inside a machine for 13 hours by myself. So all I have is a radio. So I'll Bluetooth my phone to it and I'll put on an audio book. Um, usually if I need a book, I try to see if there's an audible version because I can power through books like crazy in a week. Like I, I've done binge your entire um, podcast you have. 13 hours, you do it, what, maybe an hour-long podcast usually. I binge, I can binge your whole channel in a day. I've done it, like, just by listening. So, you know, the, in, you can retain so much more information if you're hearing it subconsciously than you are actually reading the book a lot of the times. Yep, that's one of the main arguments I get for audiobooks. They're like, well, if, if you're not listening to it, uh, you're not actually, you know, getting the book in your head. I'm like, well, are you reading at all? Well, no. Ah, then don't you think audiobooks like a good place to start like at least it's something you know even if even if you're only consciously listening to 70 percent of the book you're still listening to the book but um yeah that's a good point it's like when i'm busy when i'm doing stuff like for example today i had a two hour two and a half hour drive down to la and i had a two hour and a half drive back and i've just listened to books the entire time and in two and a half hours on one times two speed that's like four hours of listening to a book and I'm conscious, I'm listening to the entire time. As a man, you need to pursue wisdom, you need to pursue knowledge, and the best form that you can do that is, oh, what do you know, books. And read what you're interested in, right? Don't read something for the sake of it, you think it'll impress somebody else. Read what you're interested in, right? So if you're interested in science fiction or fantasy, go read fantasy, go read science fiction, and then slowly maybe work yourself up to something else that you think that you can eventually get to. I've read tons of fantastic books on Norse paganism that have changed my perspective on the faith entirely. That's the entire point of reading is to do that. One thing that I can recommend, as you said, uh, is, yeah, like, don't just go and binge out on philosophy and like stuff to try to learn because you're going to burn out eventually. Like you can, your brain can only process so much information like that. So like Game of Thrones, if you've watched a TV show or whatever, Download the audio book. The, the guy who does that does a wonderful job narrating uh, or whatever. And like read, read one book at Game of Thrones and then go to like a philosophy book or something on Norse paganism and then go back to something you love. You don't have to just constantly seek the, to, to learn wisdom. You can just chill out and listen to something you enjoy uh, reading. Like I, the Percy Jackson series, I didn't read them in high school or whatever, uh, but I, I'm subscribed to Audible and I've read the entire series just by listening to one book a month of that for uh, leisure. This is a total like divergent. But did you read Magnus Chase? Sure. Yeah, I finished it as well. Oh, yeah. uh, the the like fourth it? book was uh, it was the first three books was really good. The one where it follows Odin is is lackluster because he's a god, so he can just kind of like they make him where he can kind of teleport and do different things it's like different side stories and the main story is thor just trying to run around the nine realms for some odd reason i do not like the way they portrayed thor I at like, all i didn't like the portrayals of any of the deities so i, no. I was not a yeah. fan of those books at all no i mean I, the characters themselves that are not gods are great but the gods uh, he, he definitely had more love for the greeks than he did the norse they kind of touch back on what you were just saying as far as like it doesn't matter kind of what books you read just reading something is good um it's kind of funny that you mentioned like the warhammer 40k stuff like i do have a couple of those on audible where it and it's it kind of ties into something that i was literally just explaining to somebody about first diving into norse paganism um like when i say like literally right before this podcast i was talking to them on the discord in a voice chat on the taking your time with each, I guess you would say like each subject of this faith. I know Jacob, you've mentioned it before as this being the religion of homework. And it's don't like the, don't just dive into say the runes or say there, or, you know, any of like the deeper knowledges, um, the deeper knowledge that is, involved in this faith like start with something more uh you know introductory like the eddas the mythos you know stuff by like neil gaiman like the, the uh norse mythology um fire and ice things like that it's i've noticed that a lot of people try to jump in 
to the heavier, deeper things right out of the gate because it's it seems cool or you know it has that that um, stigma around it of being more intense and more interesting. And a lot of people don't like starting from square square one. They'd rather start from zero and go straight to a hundred and try to learn all these things without having the understandings of the basics. Um, and it just made me kind of think of that conversation that I had because like you said, like don't necessarily dive into a deeper book on stoicism and expect to be a philosopher on it. You know what I mean? Like it's taking your time with a lot of that knowledge and making sure that you retain it as well. Yes. Retention when it comes to reading is massive, especially like what you and Jacob just said is that Norse paganism is a religion of homework. I have done so much research into Norse paganism and the gods, and I haven't even scratched the surface, to be honest. There's just so much and it never ends. And I know this goes without being said. I know you guys have talked about this before, but I'm constantly upgrading my hard drive. I'm constantly updating my belief system. And that is something that's essential for growth. And what I see a lot of people going doing, I hate Jacob. I don't, I don't know how you do this with your inbox, but I get the question every day. How do I start being a Norse pagan? I'm like, Oh God, now I just forward them to you. I'm like, Oh, I want to go to Jacob, go to Jacob, please. I can't handle this anymore. As of right now, uh, I'm sitting on 160 message requests and I guarantee you at least 30 to 40 of those are all, where do I begin? And now all I do is send them my playlist that's literally called Where to Begin. And I just shoot that to them like, go, go, go. <laughs> it's like, you're honored because these people are coming to you with these questions. But at the same time, you're like, oh, oh God, I can't do this. Like people ask me like, how can I learn more about Stoic philosophy? I'm like, oh, here you go. I have this episode on it. But what I was saying is that, uh, you know, a lot of people, they expect to just jump straight into Norse paganism and they're super excited about it. And, you know, rightfully so. It's an exciting thing. And then they're like, I don't know. It's, I don't, I just burnt myself out. I just kidding. But what I do for me specifically is I just chase my interests like books. I, I sometimes I'm more interested in the runes. Sometimes I'm more interested in our history. Sometimes I'm more interested about warfare, something that applies to my faith. And, uh, when you pursue your interests, you tend to spend a lot more time on it rather than forcing yourself to do it. And I know it goes without being said, but something I forgot a lot. Uh, I was going to say, I definitely agree with the, the forced interest and in starting where you begin, like, uh, it's, it's not a race. Like with stoic philosophy, like the very first thing I, I knew I needed to change my mindset and I was like, well, how do I I'd go about doing that? So I started looking into different philosophies and, stuff, and that's what popped out to me first. So I started studying on it. Then whenever I knew we were going to have you on here, uh, I went and listened to your podcast and your first episode was on. I was like, this is the path I'm supposed to go. Like it's, I'm, the bricks are right there. Like I'm walking the path. And uh, when I messaged you about it, I was like, hey, you know, I loved your episode. Like you did a great job. Like, and I've already, you know, I bought uh, meditations about Marcus Aurelius. And I'm looking at other books, but uh, you got to take your time. You got, you got to start out uh at the very beginning one of my favorite quotes that stuck with me whenever i was eight years old was when i seen in an elementary school hallway it was a quote from confucius uh the chinese philosopher and he said the journey of ten thousand miles begins with the first step and that has always stood with me you know no matter where we go what paths we decided whether you're norse pagan uh agnostic atheist christian non whatever uh to get into anything new you gotta take that first step and once you take that first step, it's up to you, especially with Norse paganism. Uh, but take it slow. Learn about the gods. Read the Eddas like Ian suggested. Uh, or if you're looking for Stoic philosophy, you know, look up Ryan or listen to uh, Forrest's podcast or go get the book Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Because, I mean, the Roman emperor, he had everything he could want in the world, and he decided to moderate it. Like, that takes a lot of willpower, and it's very empowering. And whenever I, I learned that, I was like, this guy has something that I can learn from him because he was the strongest, most powerful man in the world. And he still was able to step away and like moderate uh, the luxuries and stuff. Yes. Let me actually add on to that too, because that's a good point. And I know we're running out of time here, so I'm going to make this quick. But if you're thinking, and you're probably not, maybe I'm projecting, but if you're thinking eh, Stoic philosophy, that's not about Norse paganism. I don't want to study. Let me, let me tell you something. Stoic philosophy will make you a better person, okay? And in my opinion, I don't think this is controversial. When you're a Norse pagan, 
you're trying to strive to be the best man or woman that you can possibly be. So if you are deterred from Stoic philosophy because it's from a Roman empire or whatever, um, just know that it is essential for growth. I wouldn't say essential, but it helps you grow. And then understand that as a Norse pagan, you should be growing and developing constantly with your knowledge, with your body, with your mind, everything. Definitely. Um, to add on to that, like I know I messaged you about it and I've talked with both Jacob, Caleb and Ian, but a lot of people don't know this, but I have a lot of like anxiety, depression, self-hatred and suicidal thoughts, stuff like that. This is why I decided to change my mindset. I had to change my mindset because my thoughts were against me and like my, with that, you're if without the right mental health, your spirituality is completely thrown off balance and you can't grow spiritually with the gods or connect to nature or even dream like you should be able to if your mindset's not right. And stoic philosophy really gives you the ability to rewire and reprogram your mind. And that's what I needed. And like and the gods brought it to me. And so this is the path I'm following. It didn't really matter where the knowledge comes from. It just matters about the knowledge because Odin wandered. That's one thing that we forget is Odin was a wanderer. He traveled. That's why he's the most known God in the Norse pantheon because he traveled. He got around. He was seeking out knowledge. Hmm. Yes. And then, you know, you know, two things. One, Odin, yes, he's the wanderer, 100%. I call this the non-consensual religion because I had no intention of becoming a Norse pagan. It came to me. Through, through vicious dreams with Odin, Greki, and Freki when I was in Europe, which I'll get to in another time. But you're here. You're on it now. You're interested. You feel the call of the gods, okay? Embrace it. Secondly, when I look at people who, and I'm not saying you're rock bottom. I'm just saying in general, people who are listening to this. When I see people, when people come to me and they say they are at rock bottom, they are suffering from these things, I look at them and I'm almost jealous in a way because you have nothing but potential for greatness and for glory and to strive for something outside of yourself something higher i look at the person who's struggling the most i say yes you're in this position that you're at now but look how far you can go look at the stories that you can tell of your triumph of your strife of your suffering those people who are at their are at their lowest point have the best stories if they so choose. Now, while we're already going down that rabbit hole, I was going to ask you, which we should probably have figured out in the beginning, uh, what is your story as far as like how you came into the faith? I mean, you already kind of touched on it um, while you were in Sweden. So just go for it. Tell us your, tell us your tale. All right. So I always tell people, and I, I've heard you guys talk about this before, is that when you are in Europe, you're, and I lived in Sweden for a while, um, about a year. Eh, it's not that long. That's long enough. You feel a closer, almost physical closer presence to the gods. And when I was in Sweden, I was in generally interested in it vaguely, more so through music. Uh, Heilun, this was back in like 2016 when I lived in Sweden. And I was like obsessed with Heilun at the time, but I didn't know why. And I knew very little about Norse paganism. And then I was, I had an apartment at the time with my girlfriend, and I had this honestly, horrible dream about Odin. Like it was not fun. You know, a lot of people, maybe they do, they have, you know, they say, oh, I had such a pleasant experience with Odin. I'm like, no, Odin, when I met him in my dreams, before I even knew who he was, it was awful. It was a fever dream. And I never want to experience that again. Like I couldn't go to sleep and I couldn't wake up. I was in this middle ground. And I, this old man, you know, like I said, I didn't know who he was at the time. I knew of him vaguely, but Odin and Greki and Freki, you have Odin just with this look of nothing of stillness but yet sinister in a way and yet waking me up okay so it's like he knew what he was doing then all i can remember this was years ago is scenes of grecking freak frecky snapping at me and gnawing at me almost like waking me up like viciously like tearing me apart almost and it was almost like shedding my skin and then I woke up that next morning and I was like, what the hell happened? Like, oh my God, that was awful. And then guess what happened? <clears throat> Nothing. I ignored it. I ignored that dream for about a year and I suppressed it. Still interested in the music and stuff like that. But something in Sweden woke me up. The old gods came to me. This is why I call it a non-consensual religion most of the time. 
because they came to me. They woke me up. They saw something in me that needed to be awoken. I was asleep. Now I'm here. That's why I said you're on, you're on this path. You're there. Moving forward about a year later, and I'm not going to dive too deeply into this, but I did a whole episode on this. What I highly recommend every Norse pagan listen to this. And don't get like I was never a big dream guy. In fact, when people told me, oh, I had a dream about this and I had this symbol, I was like, that's dumb. That makes no sense. But then I had this dream that I called the gauze. If you guys went to the gathering with me, I had this dream that I was on this grassy knoll with my tribe in who knows what century. And this was the most real dream. It didn't even feel like a dream. It just feels like a memory. And the sunset was coming up and it was purplish and pinkish and all these beautiful colors. And we were overlooking this lake and on this lake was this island and this really big, beautiful tree, which I now know is Yidrasil. And I was sitting there with my tribe and they were setting up something. I don't know if it was a food camp ritual or whatever. And mind you, I'm in garb. I don't, I've never dressed in garb before this dream. Like I didn't know. And I'm looking at this tree, which is Yidrasil and it starts glowing and it starts sparkling. And I'm like, um, does anyone else see this tree glowing over here? And then I'm looking into the tree and you know how if like you kind of blur your eyes a little bit, the patterns of the leaves start to blend into each other. And then I noticed right angles, degrees, like sharp angles. There's no real sharp angles in nature. So it caught my eye. And then I was like following it. And then I noticed it was a rune and I'm like, there's a rune in that tree. And I was like, there's a rune in that tree. But I didn't know runes at the time. I just knew that this was a rune. And I told myself, remember the shape. It was the gauze. It was two triangles. I told myself, two triangles. Oh, God, don't forget this. Two triangles. And then uh, then I'm like sitting there and I'm like talking to this one guy who's like laughing at me and making fun of me because he's like, you've never seen that before. Like, you're just noticing this. And he was bothering me. That guy to my right was bothering me. But this is where it gets trippy, guys. I know I said I wasn't going to talk about this too much, but now I'm excited. But um, as I'm looking at this tree, a guy comes up to me and drops something in my lap and it was cups and they were inscribed with runes and I didn't know what they were. I still don't know what they were to this day. And I'm very disappointed. I don't remember that, but he took, he looked at me and he smiled and he's like, here you go. And he was in full garb. He's had the shaved head, everything that you could possibly imagine. And then he gave me four cups and I didn't think anything of it until I posted about my dream on social media. And someone's like, Oh my God, that's the tarot card for cups. And then, uh, so you have major symbols in the stream. You have the tarot card four of cups, which um, I highly suggest you guys research. But then you have the gods, the rune of a light, the rune of awakening. What is the coincidence that Yidrasil was lighting up like it was on fire? And then the rune of awakening, the gods, appears in this tree on top of everything else going on. Changed my life completely. That was the final true awakening. In fact, so much so that the gods became my main rune i have it on my neck not right now but i have it on my neck i last time i was at the gathering i don't know if you guys remember during the most important part of our ritual i took the gauze i took my pennant that i had for years around my neck and i bought that pennant after i had that dream and then the gauze was like the closer and i took the gauze and i put it back where it belonged that pennant with the gauze and i threw it back in the fire where it came from. I felt like I kind of gave something back. I said, thank you to the gods, but that's how I awoke to Norse paganism. That is pretty crazy. I actually, I've never heard you talk about that before. So it's really cool to hear it. Um, so it's interesting, like part of that, like your dream slash vision, it, it like was eerily similar to what happened at the fall gathering in a way, almost like there was definitely some almost like things connected there, you know, except for like the tree in the center of the lake. Cause, you know you're talking about like a grassy knoll but then we had like that grassy hill we had that pond at the bottom of it surrounded by your folk and your tribe like there's some connections going on there mm. yeah i never thought about that actually and that's you really said you never point. wore uh wore garb and that's you wore garb there that was gifted to you by someone who it was a cameron right and he's yes a, and he's a bold, uh, balder follower too that's fascinating i actually never made that connection from the dream to the gathering but it all felt the same. Like I said, it felt like a memory. It didn't feel like a dream. It felt like a memory. Like, oh, okay. I experienced this. We did have some weird stuff with that pond, though. It's like we, we never could figure out exactly what it was, but it just kept feeling like there was something there in it. I remember we said that like as soon as we first saw it. 
There's something weird about it. I don't Ian know if it was a portal to somewhere else or what. Ian but then you almost Kat fell in it the first time you went down there. <laughs> yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I believe it's time we end this podcast. We have gone well over an hour, so it should be a great episode. But Forrest, thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm going to leave the floor one last time to you if you want to talk about any of your social media, where people can find you, list it all out. Um, but if you have any last words of wisdoms for the, uh, anyone listening to this, this is your time as well. Okay, so just closing comments, right? When I talk about vegetarianism, and I know I'm bringing it way back, but I think one of the most healthy, health, healthy things you can do is hunt and kill your meat yourself because that's what our ancestors did. They went out, they worked for it, right? They shot it with the bow. Now we're shooting it with the gun. But also there's that ritualistic process that comes with killing the animal yourself. You bring your sons along, you know, you bring other males, you have that tribal experience again. I think that is one of the best ways you can eat meat. Just a closing comment so nobody thinks I'm like, oh, if you eat meat, you're bad. I think there's a better way to eat meat in this coming age. Secondly, where you can reach me, is Instagram, Munden underscore Forrest, F-O-R-R-E-S-T. I got a Patreon. I post about all sorts of stuff, guys. I post about relationships, about female behavior. I post about Norse mythology, Norse paganism. Jacob and I have done episodes in the past. I talk about everything, okay? Um, and then you have my Twitter, which is just the Solar King or just Forrest Munden, whatever you want to look up. And that is the main places that you can reach me. And I'm always willing to answer guys' messages. All right. Well, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. I think we've had a great conversation. We hit a lot of topics, but folks, if you want to be on the folk podcast, please email us at the folk podcast at gmail.com all lowercase the folk podcast at gmail.com. And if you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the show, we haven't done an episode where we have like a general topic. We've just been talking to the guests, but if there is one, anything you want us to kind of tackle, um, please let us know. We'd love to discuss it, but folk until next time until the hall, skull. Skull. Skull.